1: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
2: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Boy, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
3: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.
2: Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. Uh, As you may have already noticed, there's a little bit of a lull between episodes for uh, Armchair Cricket Podcast because uh, my co-host Giri is a bit busy and I'm your other host Ajit and I'm currently on a holiday uh, in India. So because I'm on holiday in India, I'm able to catch up with some of our uh, frequent uh, co-hosts. So I was able to have a chat uh, with uh, Karna, who's joining us for this section of the episode, and I'll have another co-host joining us for the next section as well. So I hope you guys stay tuned in and listen to that one. So first of all, I would like to welcome Karna back on Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, Karna. Thanks for joining.
3: Hi, Ajit. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back on the Armchair Cricket Podcast.
2: We're we, we sort of recording a bit late in the evening, so I hope you know we both stay awake and uh, you know, active while this is still going on. We've not had a very long drive to office today as most Bangaloreans complain.
3: Well, that's an everyday story for all Bangaloreans. We are just used to it now. It's only for people like you who come from Europe who find Bangalore, uh, Bangalore's traffic stifling. For us, it's a part of our life now. That's what it is.
2: Interesting, interesting. Well, I mean, I hope every time I come back, I pray that it gets better and I don't see it yet, but there are certain signs that it's going to improve. So I really hope it improves in one of the upcoming years. So moving on to cricket. First, let's look at the ongoing India versus New Zealand T20 series because, well, India leading comfortably 4-0, but, you know, at least a couple of these matches have gone down to the wire. So let's go through all four matches one by one quickly. So First, I would like to go through the first T20I that was played in Auckland on Jan 24th. So, in this game, uh, it was a high scoring game. So, New Zealand batting first made 203 for five, and India chased it down comfortably with one hour to spare. So, if you were to look at the New Zealand innings, they had solid contributions uh, from the top order. Only Colin de Grandom missed out. So, Captain made 30, Monroe 59, Williamson 51, and then Ross Taylor uh, sort of finished it off with a 54 at a strike rate of 200. So that meant, you know, all of Indian bowlers took a bit of pounding. Only Shivam Dube, uh, who took uh, one for 24 of his three overs, seemed to have you know gotten away or escaped some amount of punishment. So in this case, chasing a 204 run target because it was Auckland, you know, it has very short square boundaries. So uh, a target of 200 is pretty much like chasing a chinaswami, let's say, so it's a very gettable target. So that way, Indians went after it with a lot of gusto, one can say. So I know Rohit Sharma failed, but uh, Rahul has been on sparkling form. I saw that in the last five to six T20s, he's always had a good score. So he made 56, Kohli made 45, Shea Sire uh, then finished it off with an unbeaten 58 uh, with a rate of 200. He had good help. Uh, Duve made 13, and Manish Pandey, who's sort of looking more and more like the finisher for India in T20s, making 14. So when you look at the bowling from uh, New Zealand, it was a bit disappointing because uh, everybody went off for a plenty of runs. So you have uh, Hamish Bennett who's returning, you have Brent Tickner who's also returning to the squad. But uh, you had more experienced bowlers like uh, Tim Saudi and Mitchell Santner and Ish as well going for a lot of runs. So uh, were you able to follow this game, Karna?
3: Yeah, I did follow the game. I was following it online because the hours for the match coincide with the time in when I'm in office. Uh, I mean, Eden Park, uh, so you expect the scores to be big. And sure enough, 200, even though New Zealand scored 200 batting first, it was all, always a par score on that pitch. And sure enough, India came out and they absolutely dominated them. I mean, KL Rahul, like you said, uh, he's just become a beast now in T20 cricket. There's no stopping him. I, I, I was reading somewhere that... He's got uh, half the amount of Roy Sharma's runs in uh, a third of the innings that he's played. So that just shows you how good a player he is right now. And then, I mean, just when the match, you know, looked to be uh, getting a little bit interesting with Kohli getting out and then uh, Shivam Dube also getting out, uh, Shreyas Zaya just turned it on and just made sure that uh, India were home with more than an over to spare. So that's all.
2: Well, I mean, are these good signs for the Indian middle order, do you think, at least the t 20 team? Because uh, we know there are some, you know, there are some uh, talking points there, especially with the middle order not looking very settled. You know, there's the MS Dhoni-shaped hole there. And uh, now, until recently, Rishabh Pant was sort of uh, auditioning for that role. And now KL Rahul has taken over the gloves. So, Pant, the batsman, is not really required in this eleven. So, that meant you know, somebody like Shivam Dubey and Manish Pandey get to play, maybe even Sanju Samson, as we see later on in the series. Uh, do you think uh, the Indian middle order and the lower middle order looks competent, uh, looks good to finish at 20 strongly? I, I think one of
3: the highlights uh, for India, especially after the World Cup, has been the form of Shreya Sire. I think uh, India should persist with him at number 4. Give him more opportunities to you know learn to bat in those middle order situations and uh, improve his skill. I mean, uh, there are there are I, I can't really f- uh, think of any great middle order batsmen that are going around in the world today. I mean, especially probably after the retirement of De Villiers, I mean, which has been a couple of years now. Uh, but after the top and but Shreyas Iyer has shown the potential that he can be India's number four for the years to come. But after the number four, uh, I think India's middle and lower order is a little bit dicey. I still do feel that uh, India batting Manish Pandey too low. Shivam Dube is more of a hit, and I mean, he's very young in his international career. Uh, You have to consider that. But at the moment, he's just too much of a uh, hit or miss cricketer. So, I mean, if you're... If these are signs towards building towards the World Cup, I think it's okay. But yeah, I think probably Hardik Pandya once he comes back, that's when probably we'll have a better uh, we'll have a better idea of how the Indian batting order is going to be.
2: I well, I can really see. You know, if you were to replace Shivam Dubey with the Hardik Pandya, that that'll give a very strong uh, let's say look to the middle order. You, you lawless have somebody like Jadeja. And even Shardul Thakur has shown that he can hit a few, you know, lusty blows when it is required. So, um, yeah, I mean, they might not really be able to stand up and compete with the likes of Stokes, Butler and Sam Karan or somebody. But you were saying?
3: Do you really think uh, Shardul Thakur will be in the first 11 for India? I don't think so. So that's one batsman less for India.
2: Mm -hmm. No, well, I mean, he's doing everything he can. So, we'll discuss about this when he, when we talk about the fourth uh, 20 i for sure. But, sure. you know, he's shown enough form with the bat. I mean, he's trying to push his case to be the, you know, one of the uh, names on the starting 11, let's say. You know, there's yeah. always Shami, now Boombra. But who would be the third fast bowler if you were to talk? Would it be Saini or would it be Shardul? I would say, you know, if you were to add with his batting, his bowling look potent and uh, he's look, looking more and more, you know, matured in the matches. So, we'll we'll get to it. Now, if you were to take a look at the second T20I, maybe you can give us a quick summary of the score, uh, Kana. Sure.
3: Uh, the second T20I was played at Auckland, uh, and uh, the match was an exact opposite of the very fir- of the first match at Eden Park. Uh, it was a low-scoring game uh, with New Zealand struggling uh, batting first and uh, scoring only 132 for five. Uh, there were just middling contributions from Martin Guptill, who scored 33, uh, Munro, who scored 26 of 25 balls, uh, Williamson struggled, 14 of 20 balls. Uh, the only player who, who could score at a decent clip was Tim Seyfert, uh who ended up with 33 of 26 balls. Uh, but the final uh, score was just not enough for, uh, uh, for India. I mean, in the bowling... Uh, Ravindra Jade just stood out uh, He took a, he took uh, 2 for 18 in his 4 overs Jaspreet Dumra making a comeback Took 1 for 21 Shami 0 uh, for 22 uh, When the Indian batsman Came out uh, Rohit Shama failed again for the second consecutive match uh, But then uh, KL Rahul Like we just said He just continues his good form Scoring a 57 this time And uh, along with Shreyas Iyer again who scored a 44 uh, ensured that India uh, cantered home uh, to a seven-wicket victory with more than two and a half overs to spare. Uh, nothing much to speak in terms of the bowling analysis. Uh, Saudi uh, took two wickets for 20, and uh, the rest did not make much of an impression.
2: So, the let's say the lower middle order we were discussing just now was not really required in this game. And for me, the... Let's say the positive from this match was won the slower bowlers, right? Chahal went for a few runs. But, uh, you know, the backup, that is Shivam Dube, Jadeja, and, uh, you know, they did a good job. And Jadeja and uh, Chahal also, even though Chahal went for a few runs, I think the spinners were very attacking in their game. And when it comes to batting, of course, with Rohit Sharma and Koholi failing, it's good to see that, you know, somebody else is able to stand up in the top order. One of those in the top four is able to stand up and finish the game off. So, that's very positive again. So, that, that that's a good sign as far as I'm concerned. What do you say, Kana?
3: Yeah, uh, something that I've, I've, I've seen and I, I wonder quite often, Rohit Sharma hardly, at least in T20 eyes, he hardly ever makes two notable scores uh, in succession. I mean, it's always he fails for a couple of matches and then all of a sudden he wakes up, he's a beast and the match uh, in which he plays well, uh, the opposition hardly has any chance. So even uh, that's been the story here as well. I mean, it's the first two ODI. I mean, first two T20Is, uh, he goes for single digits. Obviously, when it comes to the third uh, ODI, uh, it's a totally different Roy Sharma that comes up, which we'll speak about now. I
2: guess. Yeah, let's let's get to that. So, I mean, then I would like to point out that when he really didn't put the match to bed. I mean, like what you said, 65 of 40 was very well the decisive sort of a score. Again, in this game, uh, India tried something else. So, India backed first. This is in Hamilton, the third T20A. So, this is the first of the, let's say, the thrillers, the first of the ties that happened. So, the second one the, was the fourth T20A. So, if you look at the third one, in the third one, well, India backed at first and made 179 for five with, as you said, Rohit Sharma top scoring, 65 of 40. KL Rahul supported him with 27 of 19. And then, Kohli made 38 of 27, batting at four. Interestingly, Shivam Dubey was promoted to number three, but he failed in this game. So, um, Shriya Sire, Manish Pandey and Jadeja made some teams and took India to 179 for five. Uh, at one stage, it looked like they couldn't probably get to 179. You know, they looked like they were going to make 160-odd. But in the final overs, Pandey and Jadeja hit out at nearly 200 or more, strike strikeout of 200 or more, and they were able to take India to 179. This suddenly became a very competitive total. A 160 or a 165 would have been a bit short but 179 looked good on that pitch so hamish bennett uh, sort of took a lot of wickets, but went for a lot of runs in the last two overs well the game should have been won by king williamson i would say so he played a masterful hand the uh, top score of the game and comfortably the best innings of this game so he made 95 of just 48 balls and he was out in the last over which you know we'll discuss in our points i'm sure so Martin Groptill made 31, and then there was nobody else, really, who made a bigger score. Only Ross Taylor, who was caught out on the last ball, made 17 of 10. But all in all, it was not enough, and New Zealand ended up tying the game at 179 for 6. So, you know, a lot of credit to Shami, who bowled last over. So, And he was able to defend defend two runs of four balls, let me put it like that. So, he did a wonderful job there. So, uh, you know, we'll get into the details. And when you look at the rest of the bowling, well, Shami took two for 32, Thakur took two for 21 of three. That was a good effort there. And um, well, the spinner struggled. Well, at least uh, Chahal struggled for sure. Jalijay again did a very competitive job. And uh, the let's say the replacement bowler, Shivam Dube went for a few runs. And I think Boombra had a shocker of a game for a change. Uh, he, went, he went for 45 runs of his four hours. Now, uh, if you were to look at some of the talking points. So first, I think we can start at the end. So, uh, did you watch the super over, uh, Karna? Yes. <laughs> mm. I, mean,
3: uh, I mean, I mean, I I just thought that India were out of it. I mean, exactly. I, I thought India were out of it uh, when I was watching the match. I just thought that there's no way. I mean, Williamson just played a masterful innings. I mean, uh, it was it was so good to see. Him. I mean, the way he took apart Bumrah, and you don't say that often. Some A batsman actually taking apart Bumrah. Uh, he, he was very classy. I mean, he scored 95. Uh, he probably deserved 100. He probably did. De- I mean, uh, New Zealand deserved to win the match. But as I say, there's... Uh, as, Uh, many a slip between a cup and a lip and uh, Mm. it it just it just happened I mean Williamson got over out in the last over and then Taylor uh, got out in the last over and then finally the uh, super over as well I mean Rohit Sharma just came out and you know it he. I mean I I just couldn't imagine I I just thought okay uh, when he was on strike for the last two was I just thought, okay, India may have a chance because he is the premier six hitter of this generation. I mean, he's absolutely yeah. unbelievable. I mean, he doesn't play any unorthodox strokes for sixes. I mean, he just hit two straight balls for uh, over long off and long on. And that was it. Absolutely amazing to be
2: honest. Right. Also, you know, the way Shami bowled in the last over, uh, with just, you know, nine to defend, he gave, considered a six of the very first ball, but he never lost hope, you know. Three of five, you think it's going to be tough. And then two of four, you know. Uh, But then I think they they hung on. So this is the hallmark of this Indian team, I think. You know, they have a lot of belief. They have a lot of self-belief. And uh, they just don't want to give up until the last one is scored. Right? And they showed that very well. So would
3: you say uh, New Zealand are the new South Africa, the deadly C word?
2: Well, I, I saw a tweet from our friends uh, One Tip One Hand, that is, uh, Edges and Ledges podcast, who were actually suggesting the same thing. They were saying, has the you know the title of the C word, the choke tag, has it moved a bit south from South Africa to New Zealand? Well, I don't think so. I mean, this does seem like a bit of a choke. Let, let's let's consider that. Was this was a classic choke. Yeah, this was a
3: classic choke. They yeah, had yeah. they had no business losing that game.
2: Exactly. Well, I think I would say, I think Ross Taylor panicked on the last ball. He didn't have to go for something so expansive and get bold. I think he, I remember he got played on. Even until the last ball, they were in control. So India were very lucky to get away with a tie in that game, as well as Shami bold. But then again, a lot of credit to Rohit Sharma. And I think, if, if anything, even in the last two balls of the Super over, I think New Zealand had the upper hand. Like literally hit two boundaries, one four and a six or maybe two sixes. And I think Saudi was guilty of bowling two length balls at regular pace. I mean, you don't bowl that to Rohit Sharma. What you said, one of the more consummate six-hitters out there, he was waiting for it. And as I said, they were all proper strokes. So I, I would have risked a slower ball bouncer or a slower ball wide Yorker, anything. So when we get to the last game, I think we can discuss how Bumrah bowled that. It was perfectly bowled to a plan. So we can discuss the last ball of how New Zealand's, um, let's say, uh, last over was controlled. So, yeah, that was the third game. And India sort of, let's say, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. And New Zealand did it the other way, right? So, they gave the game to India, I think. And Saudi was probably as culpable as Williamson in that case. So, now, if you go to the fourth T20A, maybe you can get us quickly through the score, Karna. Sure. Um,
3: So, Saudi, I mean, the last… I mean, sorry… you know, that's why they say cricket is a strange old game. I mean, this series should have been 2-2 instead. India is now 4-0. India batting first in the fourth match uh, gave uh, Sanju Samson a go at the top of the order. Unfortunately, just like the innings that he played against Australia, he just hit 1-6 and he got out. The rest of the top order also was a mess. I mean, Kohli got out for 11. Shreyas Asaya this time went early for one uh Dubai for 12 rahul stuck around for some time uh, scored 39 but got out to a terrible shot it was finally left to manish pande in many ways to justify his position uh in 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 the lineup uh, instead of probably somebody like rishabh pant uh, he ended up scoring 50 of 36 balls uh, had a nice partnership with Shardul Thakur and made sure India got to a fighting total, a total that at least they could play with. Uh, they got to 165 for eight outside 20 overs. Uh, for the, from the bowling sp- standpoint, uh, the spinners bowled extremely well. Uh, Ish Sodhi took three uh, three wickets for 26 runs. Uh, Santner only gave away 26 again in his four overs, and uh, only Hamish Bennett uh, was a little bit expensive but took two wickets. New Zealand came out. And uh, initially they were very circumspect. Uh, Martin Guptill and uh, Colin Munro, uh, after two overs, were going under run a ball. Uh, uh, Guptill got out to Bumrah, and then uh, uh, Munro then took over, and uh, he scored. Uh, he, he was actually uh, he actually played a very good hand, and actually one his dismissal could be considered as one of the talking points. A brilliant run out by. Uh, Virat Kohli for 64, uh, but uh, Tim Seifert, uh, he guided the innings, uh, took them all the way uh, to the doorstep of victory, uh, and I would say doorstep of victory, again with Ross Taylor, but uh, in a disastrous turn of events for New Zealand, uh, the dreaded Super over, I mean, they ended up at uh, 165 for 7. Uh, Ajit maybe you want to go over the last over of the innings where four wickets fell.
2: Yes, I mean again I think unfortunately you know they are doing everything they can to show that they are well worthy of the choker's tag. Also Shardul Thakur bowling this over. So with the number of runs left if you look at it so it was uh, the last four overs were very interesting. So Saini bowled a four run over. Before that, I think, Boombra bowled a seven run over. Before that, Shardul had bowled an eight run over. So, it was basically fantastic death over bowling by India that even gave them a chance. The match would have been closed out with like five balls, eight balls to spare something like this. You know, what you usually see. The Indian bowling kept it really tight. Shardul was given the last over. So, that was very interesting. So, Boombra had to be utilized before to even give Shardul a chance. So, uh, with, you know, eight runs left to score with again Ross Tiller at the crease. Ross Tiller seems to be, you know, sort sort of a designated finisher, but I think... He's not actually able to wrap up games, just like the last game in this uh, o match as well. He started off by trying to hit a six rather than looking for a percentage shot in the first, you know, ball. It's very easy to think, you know, if you nail a boundary of the first ball of the last over, it's very easy to wrap up such a chase. It's the right thinking. But unfortunately, I think he misjudged the length and he hit, ended up hitting the ball high in the air and was caught at long on, right? So that meant this brought uh, the new guy to the crease, David Mitchell. And he did the right thing. He thumped the first ball to the boundary, extra cover boundary. It was a good shot. So that meant again, England required three of, uh, sorry, four of uh, four. That that meant they're back in control. Now they tried something silly, right? So Darrell Mitchell swung himself off the feet, trying to hit the ball, did not connect. And then Tim Seifert, who was the experienced batman, batsman at the non-striker, tried to run, and he was run out at the striker's end. trying to steal a bye. So that meant there was a new bo- a new batsman, which was again Mitchell Stantner, coming in to face the bowling of Shardul Thakur. Now it was four runs required of three. Then, you know, um, they somehow still tried to get get on with it. So first, uh, Mitchell Santner took a single. Daryl Mitchell tried to hit out and got out. That didn't work. And then that meant, you know, Scott Kurline came to join Mitchell Santner and Mitchell Santner was looking at two runs of one ball. So all they were able to get was one run. This this last two balls are a typical, typical example of how you would bowl to the field exactly. So, Shardul Thakur should be given a lot of credit here. You know, sometimes he seems to run in and bowl a bit cluelessly if you're looking at how he's bowling. But it looked like that's not the case. So, it was well drilled and he perfectly delivered the ball in such a place where the field was set up. The last ball where two runs were required, he bowled it wide of the crease, forcing Mitchell Santner. There was a risk there. If Mitchell Santner was able to hit the ball a bit finer, he would probably beat point and that would be the game. Right? But he was not able to do that. He had to put bat on ball. It was so wide. And it went straight to the deep extra cover fielder. And only one run was considered. And if you saw, the deep extra cover fielder was like 10 yards off the fence. That was you know, a two-double-edged thing. If Santa uh, yeah. hit it very smooth, fine, that would have been a four. It could have beaten him. But on the other hand, it worked exactly to plan. So there, again, a lot of credit to the Indian bowlers. But this meant, again, Super Over. This time, Bumrah bowling the Super Over did a slightly better job. And, you know, he only considered 13 runs. And uh, when India's turn came to chase 14 of the Super mm-hmm. over, KL Rahul very pretty much closed the match by hitting a 6-4 and a of the very first two balls. Again, Saudi was very predictable bowling length of the very first ball. Sort of, you could see, KL Rahul was waiting back in the crease, hoping that this will be a Yorker or a wide Yorker. He was sort of planning multiple things. But this was delivered perfectly on length, and he banged it straight down the ground for a 6. He was just waiting on that. Then the next ball was, again, it was played straight into the batsman's hands. by KL Rahul knew what was going to happen. He was waiting for a bouncer. And that's what arrived. It was not a slower ball bouncer, but a regular bouncer. And he hooked it over finally for another four. So, even though he got out of the third ball, there was Kohli who actually went out to bat. You know, after match, I remember Kohli was saying that it was actually supposed to be Samson going out to bat with KL Rahul because they were the, you know, good hitters of the cricket ball. But it looked like KL Rahul took him to the side and told him that, because he's more experienced and he has a more calmer head on his shoulders, he should accompany Rahul to the middle. And that's exactly what happened because Samson came in at number three. And then, uh, you know, with uh, four runs required of three balls, Kohli just milked it. So first there was this comfortable double. He just tapped it down the ground. And before anybody could get to it, they comfortably ran two. And then, of course, you know, that meant um, it was back to run a ball. And then he comfortably hooked one past mid-wicket. And that was that. So that was a very you know clinical finish by kohli uh, but well set up by rahul at least in the when it comes to the super over so once again i mean new zealand are uh, trying to do their best to probably help south africa out and take the choker stack but i have a feeling uh, the indian team here deserves a little bit of credit as well this indian team has this never, never said die attitude they want to keep fighting until the last last run is considered or last you know ball is bowled so maybe that puts a bit of pressure on a team which is a bit tentative i, I don't know why new zealand should be tentative uh, we see that suddenly some of the results are reversed as far as new zealand are concerned they lost a series badly to australia which was unexpected right and then suddenly they are 4 uh, 0 down to india uh, i know this is t and that was tests but suddenly this new zealand team looks a bit shaky And I don't know if it augurs well for the upcoming ODI and uh, Test Series, uh, Kana.
3: I mean, yes, like you said, India deserve a lot of credit and might be a bit of a controversial take. But I do believe even though India lost to the Kiwis in the semifinals, India are the better team. I mean, if you remember when India went uh, on a tour to New Zealand, I think, was it last year before the World Cup or just before the year before the last? uh, India absolutely beat new zealand easily in all the one days uh, so india are the better team and they have shown the ability to hold their nerve and like you said uh, new zealand are probably having a bit of a confidence crisis you know when the match gets uh, tight uh, they just kind of freeze in the headlights and they're just not able to think clearly and just you know just finish the game uh, probably not winning for a long time has contributed to some of these close defeats. Like I said earlier, the series should easily have been 2-2. Instead, it's 4-0 and India going for the first ever 5-0 bilateral T20I series. So lots lots for New Zealand to think about before the ODIs and the tests that follow.
2: Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, I mean, uh, I'm very eagerly looking forward to the fifth 20 A before the ODA series start at least. So that, you know, if India can wrap up a final T20 series, it's, it's, it's a good thing uh, for the team as well. And uh, Just one thing I wanted
3: to ask you. Uh, do you think Bumrah is still, you know, just struggling a little bit coming back from injury? I mean, maybe it's because we have too high an expectations from Bumbra. Or uh, or are the batsmen now looking to play out Bumbra, especially in his first spell? Uh, we do see that even today, uh, the Kiwis didn't want to take any risk against him at all. You know, They just want to try and get probably five runs, six runs of him and then see if they can score in the last few overs. So what do you think about Bumbra, especially considering the series?
2: I think he's sort of feeling his way back into peak. Fitness and peak, uh, you know, form. But also, I think this this is meant to happen, right? If if you have a gun bowler in your team, teams will find a way to work around him. You know, there are days when somebody as classy as Williamson will take him down, right? Like the previous uh, T20A. But also, there are days like today where you know, in the fourth T20A, uh, teams will look to play him out and maybe target him in the last or last couple of hours, right? Because on his day, he's really, really tough to hit. And they know that. So they want to try to attack the other bowlers, maybe the spinners, you know. So I think it's a bit of both. But I would say he's, he's slowly returning to his best. And at the same time, teams are finding a way to work, work out either around his spell or through his spell. right? So, yep. yeah, let's see how that comes uh, in the upcoming uh, T20i as well. So yep. before we go on to the miscellaneous topics, let's take a quick look at the England women versus India women T20i that's happening. Uh, It was in Australia, the tri-nation women's T20 series that started in Australia. So in this game, England women and India women uh, had a very close match. And uh, India women won this game. Uh, So England women made 147 for seven, which uh, the Indian women chased down in the last over. So uh, Heather Knight, the English skipper, made 67. She had some support by uh, Natalie Seaver, who made 20, and then Tammy Beaumont, who made 37. From Indian perspective, the spinners were really good. Again, with uh, Deepa Sharma and uh, Harmanpreet Kaur doing a good job. Also, uh, Gaikwa took the twofer at the top of the you know, uh, bowling analysis. So, in their chase, India started positively. So, Fali Verma making 30 and then uh, Jemima Rodriguez making 26, Mandana making 15. But, you know, they had a bit of a, a little bit of a scare towards the end. But uh, Harmanpreet Kaur held it well. And she made an unbeaten 42 and with the help of uh, Deepa Sharma, who weighed 12. La- led Indian women to victory so that's just a quick summary of that game now if you we were to move on uh, let's take a quick look at you know uh, this amazing uh, quarterfinal of the under 19 world cup that happened today between uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan I don't know if you were able to follow this uh, game Kana.
3: I was just following it online obviously um... I mean, in in recent years, obviously uh, Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan have had a bit of a history uh, with their boards clashing against each other. But obviously, the big talking point today was the man cutting of the Pakistani batsman by the left-arm spinner. Uh, so, yeah. what do you have to say about it, Ajit?
2: Well, I mean, it looked like it was an opportune thing. So they saw that there was this opportunity. So they took it and they were up against it. So they thought maybe this is a way to force a breakthrough, right? So Noor Ahmed, the spinner, saw the opener, uh, Mohamed Hurera packing up. And Mohamed Huraira is playing his first ever competitive game. This is his first game in the, uh, sorry, in the under-19 World Cup as well. And uh, he was a bit naive, I think, trying to leave the crease a bit earlier. And the bowler saw the opportunity and took it. But later on, you know, in hindsight, I think they felt him have been a bit hasty in trying to achieve the uh, wicket this way. So when we, in the post-match conference, Farhan Zakil, who's the captain of the Afghanistani team, said that, you know, probably if they were in a better position, they would not have chosen to go on for that uh, dismissal or that mode of dismissal. What do you think, Karna?
3: I just don't understand why, you know, teams are made teams or the players or the, the captain made to feel guilty for such incidents. Either you have the rule or you don't have the rule. Uh, if the rule is there, then you're, the bowler is well within his rights to uh, uh, take the uh, bails off of the batsman. Look, the thing that everybody needs to understand here is that the batsman is the one who's trying to take an advantage. He is leaving the crease before the bowler is delivering the ball, so he is not supposed to do that. So if you see that he's trying, he's trying to gain an advantage through unfair means. It is incumbent upon the bowler to take, uh, you know, action for him to and uh, get him out of there. So there's nothing wrong in that. I think too much is made of uh, man cutting. I think it, it it has a place in cricket, and it should be uh, it should be used uh, to get batsmen out.
2: All right. So in that case, you're saying there's nothing for the Afghani captain to have apologized in the post-match. Absolutely. Uh, introduce. If you remember, there was another, uh, you know, slightly controversial such an event in the 2016 Under-19 World Cup where a certain Kimo Paul had run a Zimbabwe batsman out and that led to a, you know, two-run win for West Indies. That was something else. Yeah, and I
3: think they ended up winning the tournament also. I think West Indies ended up winning the tournament also that year.
2: Exactly, exactly. They did. So, you know, speaking of winners of tournaments and how they progress, we know that you know, Kimo Paul has gone out to represent West Indies, right? Yeah. But I think you have an interesting quote from Rahul Dravid about it.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, so I think this interview came out uh, or this quote came out in 2015 or 16. Uh, and uh, so Rahul Dravid was, I mean, Rahul Dravid has been the India under-19 coach now for a few years, I think probably four or five years. And he was asked about... Uh, how we view India winning all these Under-19 World Cup. I mean, I think probably India won probably three or four since the time uh, Virat Kohli won in 2008. And he had a very interesting response. He said, I do not place much importance on our team or the boys winning the Under-19 World Cup. What I look forward to is how many of these uh, boys who rep- who play for India at the under-19 level, they go up uh, they go up and represent India at the national level at the international mm-hmm. level. He was given mm-hmm. a he was giving a uh, very particular example about the 2012 World Cup I mean under-19 World Cup final. Uh, Unmuk Chand who everybody thought uh, would go on to uh, represent India at the international level. Uh, Ian Chapel, I remember, I've seen a couple of interviews, uh, you know, uh, lavishing praise on Unmukchand and then saying that he should be fast-tracked to international cricket. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. So what Rahul Dravid was saying that was, uh, we won the World Cup in 2012. Uh, but as it happened, only one member from that team, uh, that is Hanuma Vihari, who has gone on to represent India at the international level. And the interesting thing is, when he actually gave this quote, even Hanuma Vihari had not played. So actually none of those players had actually represented India. Their opponents in the final was Australia. And they had four people who had represented Australia at the international level by then. Uh, There was Cameron Bancroft, Curtis Patterson, who played a couple of test matches, uh, Travis Head. Uh, who's a regular in their test and one-day squad. And then Joel Paris, who's played a couple of uh, matches. So he said, under-19 cricket, wins shouldn't be given much importance. It's just a stepping stone towards the ultimate goal for the cricketer to play for India, which I found quite interesting, actually. So that's what it is.
2: Yeah, makes sense. It makes absolute sense. Because, you know... uh, when I was a student in Amsterdam, I met a former under-19 India player who had moved on, who was actually a certified doctor. And he was doing a post-doctorate or, a, you know, a MD, sort of a degree. And he pro- sort of moved away, I remember, from cricket. As soon as he finished sort of with the under-19 World Cup, realizing that, you know, uh, he didn't want to pursue a career in cricket. So this can happen sometimes. I, I, you know, We should not forget that sometimes... Uh, these cricketers, you know, they are still kids, they're still 18, 19, and they're sometimes still trying to find out what's the best way for them, whether playing cricket is the right way or not. And, you know, in a country or in a setup like India, where the cricket check through thousands of players at a certain age level, uh, there will be a lot of churn. So I can very well imagine if not all the under-19 players or not a large section of the under-19 team is able to later transform into... Uh, you know an international team as well because you have suresh rana mohammad Kaif, virat kohli we have many other examples of people who played in the under 19 setup and then graduated even rishabh pant and all of these people right so i think it's it's also one of those things where um, it might be just that people who are deciding about their careers uh, find it uh, find the up and down of maybe international in cricket too much or are not able to crack it at the next level so it's 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 a tough thing to sort of conclude at least for me i don't know what you think Kana.
3: Yeah, no criticism at all. Absolutely. I mean, he was just giving his viewpoint. He just, he just, he just. I, I think his intention was okay. Uh, just take the under-19 World Cup or, or this win as a step along the way to becoming probably, you know, an inter international cricketer or probably even knowing Rahul Dravid, he'll probably say a better, uh, a more well-rounded individual in your life, probably something like that.
2: Yeah, I agree. Interesting. Interesting. Good point. So, uh, well, uh, we know that the upcoming Under-19 semifinal, World Cup semi-final is going to be at least between one of the semi-finals. It's going to be between India and Pakistan. So what do you think? Who's going to win? And do you think the Indian team has it uh, has in it to take it all the way and maybe win the tournament?
3: I think, yeah. I, I think considering India's record in these, I think one of the things that people tend to underestimate is there's a lot of talent in India. Obviously, with a massive population comes a lot of talent in India. And obviously, BCCI now has the resources. And uh, for all the criticisms that we have of the BCCI, they do put in a lot of effort into uh, under-19, especially with Raul Dravid uh, coming into the system, you know, organizing tours to different countries. Uh, the players are, uh, I would like to believe, uh, well-rounded, uh, uh, they they get themselves acclimatized to different conditions, and they are well prepared for a tournament of this magnitude. Uh, so I expect the Indians to go all the way again this time.
2: All right. So as they say, from your lips to the ears of the gods, and uh, may the India under-19 team win the tournament and bring the tournament home, right? So that was uh, indeed a very nice discussion, Karnal. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. So thanks a lot for your participation in this episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast. We really look forward to having you participate more often with us. Thanks a lot,
3: Thanks, Ajit. Thanks for having me.
2: In this section of the podcast, let's take a look at some of the ongoing cricket from uh, Indian team's perspective as well as the test match cricket perspective all over the world. So first, let's take a look at the last ODA of India versus Australia series. So this was a decider in Bangalore. uh, To help uh, me analyse this cricket and also the ongoing test cricket, i would like to welcome a frequent guest on our podcast mr chetan from bangalore so hello chetan welcome to the podcast thank you let's say let's take a look at the india australia third odi so let's first take a look at uh, the scores right so i'll run through the scores then let's analyze how the cricket has gone so if you were to take a look at the scores australia chose to bat first in bengaluru this is a common uh, let's say a chasing ground let's say it's a smallish ground so Even totals of 300, 320 are easily chased. So from this perspective, Australia sort of, you know, had the right idea. They wanted to set up a large target that was beyond India. So they won the toss and started to bat first. So in their innings, they ended up making 286 for nine, thanks to an amazing 131 by Stephen Smith, a 54 by uh, Labushin, and some middle-order support. So Carey made 35 to support them. But towards the end, they could not get the sort of acceleration they probably wanted. Right, So, we'll get into a little bit more of the talking points, but chasing this target of 287, Rohit Sharma, who was sort of not doing a very good job throughout the series, came to the fore here, and then uh, along with Rahul laid the platform for the chase. But once the platform was set up, Rahul was dismissed for uh, in 19, but uh, Virat Kohli, who's the captain of the Indian team, but also the master of the chase, joined Rohit Sharma, and they put the, let's say, the match to bed by adding, you know, uh, 131 runs so that basically meant that they were comfortably placed by the time rohit sharma was dismissed for 119 there is a little bit of a scoreboard pressure but then you know kohli and uh, iyer finished it off so going towards some of the talking points right so chetan uh, what do you think are some of the good talking points
1: the first talking point would be uh, even though bangalore is uh, known as a good chasing ground australia choosing to bat first I think uh, definitely backfired in a way, because such a good Indian batting lineup, especially the top order, and on a ground like this, you never know what is a good score to set for such a huge batting lineup, whose uh, top three are basically the best in the world. And uh, if we look at the Australian innings, you can say that the run out of Aaron Finch by Smith uh, would be uh, very important. And then, of course, Smith carried on with the help of Labushain and uh, Alex Carey. But his dismissal uh, towards the end uh, uh, during the mid-40 overs by Mohamed Shami and great death bowling by Naini and Mohamed Shami to close out the tail really uh, pulled them back from a competitive competitive score, which would have been 320 or uh, 330. That would have really challenged the Indian batting line So then when India started batting, of course, uh, the first wicket fell at around 69 in the 12th over, which was a solid platform considering the ground. I think uh, 286 as a target was not a great one. And even though Rohit Sharma had not performed so well during the series, uh, he just came to the fore in the decider. Uh, we should also remember that he had a very good uh, record in deciders of odi series and along with captain kohli who is master the uh, who masters the chases comfortably every time and uh, unfortunately missed out on the century uh, as he got out for 89 but there was no doubt as to who would win the match during that time and of course it was ended by shreyas sayers uh, quick fire 44 then we had of course the bowling looking at the bowling uh, by the Australians, the start they required from Cummins and Stark was not to come. Uh, being the experienced bowlers and having a uh, Cummins, especially in the last 18 months, having done very well, especially in Test cricket, was um, trying to bowl the shot of good length and uh, restrict the scoring. But it did not work. And in the back of their mind, I think they always had that this total was not really a challenging one uh, for this top-order Indian batting.
2: So, uh, from a result perspective, as an Indian fan, are you happy that uh, India have actually uh, beaten uh, Australia in a one-day series after having considered a one-day series at home to them? Do you remember this, Chetan?
1: Yes, of course, I do remember that uh, India led 2-0 uh, in that one-day series and Australia came back to win uh, back three back-to-back matches to take the series, especially uh, because of a blinder of an innings from Ashton Turner. That actually uh, changed the uh, proved to be the turning point of a series where uh, Yuzvinder Chahal and Kuldeep both could not handle the dew on that night. So he managed to you know uh, score a quickfire 80 odd of 40 balls uh, that changed the momentum of the series and went towards uh, Australia. And also we should remember that in India beat Australia in Australia 2-1. Also, uh, because of some uh, great innings by uh, M.S. Dhoni and Kedar Jadam. That really uh, actually forced Australia also to look
2: at India as a very big team, especially at home. Thanks a lot for that. Now, uh, if you were to move on, let's now take a look at the Test match cricket going on out there. So, in this case, what would be the first one we can look at is the third and the fourth Test Both were decisive as far as the England versus South Africa series is concerned. So let's take a look at that test series. So from that test series perspective, let's go to uh, test number three, which was being played at Port Elizabeth. The series was tied at Warhol. So from this point in uh, in time, it it could be said that South Africa, who won the first test, were sort of losing steam, and England, who were on the ascendancy, having won the second test, and also with all of their main players being fit, and in good condition. So they were in the ascendancy and, you know, it looked like they could comfortably challenge South Africa, if not beat them. So it was going to be an interesting, let's say, point in the series. So you enter the third test here. And in the third test, you know, England stamped their uh, mark because they beat South Africa by an innings and in 50 runs. So if you were to take a quick look at the score, uh, England batted first and made 499 for nine. So at a reasonably healthy rate, they just took 150 overs over this. So this was thanks to a lot of top order contributions. Zach Crawley and Dom Sibley both played well, and then Denley and Root made decent contributions. But the bulk of the contributions came from Ben Stokes, who made one twenty, and then Ollie Pope, who sort of you know showed that he was ready for Test cricket in this specific match. And by doing that, he was also able to take some support from Curran and Wood towards the end of the innings and take England to four ninety nine, which was going to be an always a challenging score. So in this case, Keshav Maharaj bowled a marathon spell. Bowling 58 overs for his 5-4. And then uh, Rabada took two, and then Peterson won, and then Norke one wicket each. So South Africa, in their first innings, had to put up a big score. Otherwise, you know, this match was going to go, be very difficult for them, and that's exactly what happened. So their top order let them down. So Elgar made 35, but nobody else in the top order went beyond 20. And then, you know, uh, Andric uh, Norke, who was the night watchman, sort of held one end together, made 18 over a long, long period of time. But then that was not going to be enough because uh, there was a bit of counter in the middle order with Hendrik van der Dusen making 24, Quinton de Kock 63, and then Philander 27. But this was not anywhere going to be enough for a score that was going to challenge the 500 that was nearly 500 that England made. So that meant South Africa were 209 all out in their first innings uh, with Dom Best, Dominic Best off spinners, sort of standing up and taking the first five South African wickets to fall. That was very well done. And Broad supported him by taking a 3 4 but you know by having considered a really large lead you know nearly 300 runs of lead uh England chose to enforce the follow-on and in their second inning South Africa again let themselves down very badly because you know the top order again did not contribute at all apart from Fafi Plessy who made 36 at number four uh between the top six batters nobody crossed 15. that was sort of very disappointing but then Keshav Maharaj and Philander had a bit of fun towards the end along with uh Dane Patterson it, it was just delaying the in- inevitable I would say at 64 for 5 in the second innings, when uh, they lost Quinton de the match was more or less gone, right? 5 for 74, not 64. So at this point in time, the match was gone. So when we were to take a look at some of the talking points, Chetan. Yes, uh, uh, basically, uh, the
1: one uh, good thing here is uh, how the England top 3 4 batsmen have uh, always, uh, in this series, even uh, when it was 1 all. And during those first two tests as well, they contributed small numbers, but helped the new ball to get old by occupying the crease for a long uh, amount of time so that their uh, middle and lower order could take advantage of it. And Oli Pope, if we can remember, also scored a very good 50 in the first test match, showing promise uh, for the future of England cricket. And in this test match, he just showed that he has come of age and he could handle pressure. And with the company of uh, Ben Stokes, who has been England's uh, ma- match winner across formats, especially in the year 2019, he really uh, came of age. And also, the lower order, like Mark Wood and Sam Curran, contributed healthy scores to uh, take England towards 500. The South African bowling, however, was, uh, as uh, our friend here mentioned, that uh, Mr. Uh, Keshav Maharaj bowled fifty-eight overs, of course. But again, he was not really effective in the sense that even though he took a fifer, he couldn't really uh, have any much control over the scoring rate, uh, considering over three runs per over. So, which made matters worse for the faster bowlers. <coughs> So then you, when you look at the second innings, that is the first innings for the South Africans, as we mentioned, there was no, contrib- no worthwhile contributions from the top order. It was left to uh, Quinton de Kock, uh, Van Der Duesen, who was uh, promising, and Philander with all his experience and his last uh, series uh, to show some sort of a resistance with the bat. But again, the uh, score ended up with uh, being too short. And uh, considering it was a lead of almost 300, they had almost gone to a point of no return. And of course, the uh, five-wicket haul by Bess, Dom Bess, really... uh, Tilted the scales of uh, in favour of England, and if we remember before the series, Bess was not really looked upon as a match winner or somebody who could take five wicket haul and uh, change the course of a match, contributing so much and complementing the work of the batsman. So then we look at the after the follow-on was enforced. If we look at it again, the top three of the South African batsmen failed, and there was no fifties from the top six bats, six to seven batsmen, uh, leaving Keshav Maharaj and Ben Petterson to play the lone hand in terms of having a partnership, and then ended up all out uh, for less than two fifty, hence giving the match to England by an
2: innings. If you were to look at spinners for England, you know. Uh, and this tour, there have been revelations. For example, uh, Denley has done his bit. Dom Bess has sort of stood up. And of course, Jorud himself has used uh, you know himself in a very good way when it comes to spin, let's say. Right. So that way, if you look at it, do you think uh, Moeen Ali has a chance even in the upcoming English summer? Does he have a chance to come back to the team?
1: Moin Ali definitely has a chance to come back to the team. If you look at somebody like Dom Bess, who took his first five-wicket haul in this series, uh, he was also successful because there was a lot of left-handed batsmen in the South African lineup. But uh, if you look at his what he can contribute with the bat, he would be definitely uh, much worthier as an all-rounder than Bess. And, and Joe Root contributing uh, with uh, with the ball is definitely a bonus for the English
2: side. All right. Now, uh, let's move on to the last test, which was at Joburg. So, this was a fast pitch, as it always is at Johannesburg, right? So, this was also going to be a special match for uh, South Africa because it was going to be a send-off for Philander, who had said before the series he was going to retire. So, I mean, let's say the script is set perfectly. So, it's up to South Africa to stand up and show some fight you know there are some interesting selection decisions by south africa before this match began temba bahuma who scored a 180 in uh, in the provincial cricket uh, in south africa forced his way back into the 11. so uh, he was going to come batting at number six right and south africa chose to drop uh, Keshav maharaj and they brought back buren hendrix another left arm pacer right so uh, not going too much into how this affects the transformation criteria and criteria and other things. I think this was a very decent lineup that South Africa put on table or put on paper to take on this England and you know, put their best foot forward to go and sort of try to take this match and at least even the series. So this is not only a f- send-off for Philander, not only you know a matter of pride to not lose the series at home, but also there are test championship points at stake. So with all of this in mind. South Africa had to do some, you know, something here. So, not just something, but try and win this game. So, that way, again, I think they failed very miserably here, unfortunately. Because England were very heavy. So, having won the toss, England decided to bat. To look at some of the good uh, talking points, Chetan. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yes. Uh, basically, if you look at the both the innings
1: of the England, in, both England innings, they had scored at more than four runs per over. That would be very important considering the spicy pitch and none of the uh, teams fielding spinners. That would mean that the attitude was to stay positive. If you look at uh, Zach Crawley and uh, Dom Sibley there, uh, last few tests, they were solid. But in this test match, their run rate, the scoring rate was much higher. So, what it forced the bowlers not to bowl at a channel and uh, bowl wicket-taking deliveries. Of course, there were other uh, players uh, who would come uh, in the middle and lower order, who would increase the uh, rate further and put uh, massive damage on the uh, South African bowlers. If we also remember, I think Kagiso Rabada was suspended uh, in this match uh, for uh, his celebration of the wicket of Root in the third test. That really also held them back considering the pitch was very spicy and it would have definitely helped his uh, uh, pace and uh, length, the bowl he bowls to cause problems, uh, maybe getting a few dismissals in the slip corner. And then, further coming down, I think we have the bowling of Nortia. I think uh, what he had proved is his round the wicket to the left handers bowling and getting wickets in the say. Uh, Caught behind slips and gully area, he was finally rewarded with a Pfeiffer in this match. And that proved to be a good personal milestone. But it didn't really help South Africa gain much momentum into their batting innings. And again, the lone warrior for South Africa proved to be Quinton de Kock. And with some help from uh, Dan Pretorius. And Mark Wood, uh, if you can remember, his last test before the injury was also a Pfeiffer. And... He proved once again that he complemented his 44 with the bat, with a fifer, which always was going to be crucial to add those extra runs as well as strike with the ball, w- which managed to, to get a great lead for England going into their second innings of batting, which were of, obviously they had no lead with, through which they could enforce the follow-on. They had to bat again and they had time on their hand to bat an entire day and still leave more than two days for South Africa to bat out, chasing 4.65, which again, the as uh, our uh, friend mentioned here, Buren Hendricks getting the Pfeiffer was a great uh, promise for the future of South African cricket. Similarly with the bat, Van Der Duesen getting a fine 98. I mean, missing out on a well-deserved century was the talking points for South Africa. But... As a series, England definitely dominated and the major contributions, of course, came from Ben Stokes and uh, the difference in the entire series, if you look at it, were lower order contributions, okay? And then we had Joe Root coming up with a 4 to complement Mark Wood's 4 in the second innings, which really uh, was the final nail in the co- coffin as far as this series was concerned, which went into the favour of
2: England in the margin of 3-1. is to Now, I think we can move on. Uh, Let's look at the other Test match cricket that's going on. So, this is the series between um, Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka. So, this was a hastily arranged series where uh, Zimbabwe hosted Sri Lanka. So, we are in the midst of the second test. So, the first test was played in Harare, which Sri Lanka won by 10 wickets. But you know, it was a much closer game. So, you know, uh, like how we were discussing off-air, If the first two tests of the England uh, South Africa series were good advertisements for five-day cricket and the last two were good advertisements for four-day cricket similarly this test uh, the first test between Sri Lanka and uh, Zimbabwe was an excellent advertisement for five-day cricket because the match finished literally in the last hour of the game right so it was one of those old-school test matches that we could get to see because I think this Zimbabwe team has trained really well and you know they have sort of stayed in obscurity in test match cricket as far as international test match cricket is concerned. But they have really shown, you know, they can compete with the top teams. So, Sri Lanka is, you know, they travel really well these days. So, uh, they stretch Sri Lanka up to a very, uh, you know, last session, last hour of the game. And in spite of that, they lost. That's probably a little bit of their inexperience coming through. We'll see that also in the scores. So, when we look at the scores, we can see that, you know, Zimbabwe batting first made 358. Now, they took almost 150 hours over making 358. But it was not a bad effort. So they had a lot of good contributions in the top six. So Masaware made 55, Kasuza made 63, Irvine uh, made uh, 85, right? And then uh, Sikandar made 41 and Tiripano made 44. So that meant, you know, at least they took 150 hours out of the game. Emboldenia bowled another marathon spell to take a 5-4 and he was well supported by Lakmal and uh, Kumara. So when it came their turn to bat Sri Lanka, they had to bat once and they had to bat really, really long. And they really did that well. So, this was thanks to a lot of contributions right down the order. So the openers, Captain Karunaratna and Fernando, made thirty-seven and twenty-one respectively, and made sure the, you know, the ball was relatively, the shine of the ball was taken away. And then entered uh, number three Mendis. Uh, you know, he made eighty. And then Angelo Matthews was the real difference between the two teams. He made a really patient two hundred. It was his first two hundred in international test cricket, but it took him, you know, literally six hundred minutes. That is um, ten hours of batting. He showed a lot of patience and he made 200 and he was well supported by dhananjaya de silva who made 63 and niroshan who made a similar 63 and then lakmal who hung around with him making a 27. this ensured that you know sri lanka made 515 for 9 declared they took 176 overs about it of the talking points chetan what are your thoughts
1: yeah, My thoughts on this series, uh, we we have to look uh, slightly backwards here and uh, see that last year Sri Lanka defeated uh, South Africa, which they were not supposed to do in South Africa by a margin of 2-0. One, of course, was a uh, miracle of 153 not out by uh, Kushal uh, Pereira. And, of course, the next match was uh, more comprehensive. They had an 8-wicket victory, if I could uh, remember right, with Mendes staying not out on 80-odd. So, coming into Zimbabwe, actually, the Zimbabwe were out of cricket for uh, quite a while. And if you look at the uh, opener's contribution here, it was really, really nice of them to hang around for a long, long time, which set up a very good platform for the middle and lower order, which Arwain... And Sikandar Reza and Donald Tiripano did manage to capitalize upon. But Brendan Taylor, with his experience, should have done more. Uh, This is a series where, you know, the seniors were supposed to stand up and uh, contribute more. So then, when they got a score of around uh, 358 at uh, around 2.5 runs per over, and Sri Lanka had the Emboldeni, of course, who bowled a marathon and uh, got a Pfeiffer, but uh, then coming into the Sri Lanka innings, we can uh, see good contributions from number 3 to number 8. That really closed out the match in terms of Sri Lanka, uh, as far as Sri Lanka is concerned, and put a lot of uh, pressure on Zimbabwe to play for a draw. They opted out to clo- shut shop, which again, at the end of the test match, that is after tea on day 5, it proved to be their downfall because they were not positive and Lahiru Kumara broke through the tail end. To give them a, as easy as uh, a target as possible, giving Sri Lanka one-love lead in the series.
2: Yeah, that was a nice summary, I think. So now, if you were to go quickly, take a look at the ongoing test match. So the second test match is ongoing, and even as we speak, uh, the day four has ended, right? So day four was at, part of the day four was lost due to bad light. So in this test, Zimbabwe seemed to have a bit of an upper hand. So having batted first, they made 406 at a slightly uh, positive rate at, of 3.5. So, they had good contributions from Brendan Taylor, who made 62, Sean Williams, who made 107, the skipper, Sikandar made 72, Chakabba 31, and Mutumbodsi 33, right? Kasuza, who's the opener, also made 38. But, you know, the Kasuza is a bit unlucky, I think. In the first test, he was, uh, you know, uh, he was out-concussed because of a bouncer while batting. In the second test, it looks like, you know, he's been out-concussed during fielding. So, he took a terrible blow on his head, feeling a short leg. So, that meant, unfortunately, you know, he couldn't really uh, come back. So, in the first test, Kasuza was uh, subbed out, concussion subbed out uh, by uh, Yama. And then, uh, I think I got the pronunciation wrong. But uh, in the second test, he has been subbed out by uh, Timishin Maruma. So, this guy, you know, he started his career in a very unfortunate manner, having been subbed out, concussion subbed out in both the two tests he has played. But if you look at, uh, you know, uh, Zimbabwean innings, they scored 406. But when they bowled, they showed a lot more intent. So, they dismissed uh, Sri Lanka for 293. Right. So, thanks to a 7-4 by Sikandaraza, Raza, who's done a very good all-round job in this test so far. So, uh, from Sri Lanka, Karuna Ratna made 44. Oshada Fernando made 44 as well. And then Matthews made 64. Dhananjaya De Silva made 42. And crucially, batted with Vishwa Fernando, who made 38, batting from number 10 so uh, without these two batters contributions i think sri lanka would have been in a bigger trouble right so still sri lanka only totaled 293 that meant you know with a handy lead zimbabwe when they started batting the second innings they could be much more positive and they have shown that again so they're scoring at 3.2 runs an over in their second innings and even though some time is lost due to you know bad light and etc and there's some rain predicted on the last day there is a good chance that zimbabwe if they declare right away they have a lead of 354 and if they were to declare right away there is a very good chance they may actually be able to force a result. Uh, What do you think,
1: Cheta? Got the scores here and the bowling performance and the batting performance. So what we look at now is uh, the contributions made by the Zimbabwean middle-order experienced players like Brendan Taylor, Captain Sean Williams and Sikander Reza is what helped them build a score up to 400. So, once we have a score of 400, whatever, even if it's a batting pitch, any part of the world, you are in with a chance against any sort of a team. And Sri Lanka lately, the batsmen haven't really put up very big performances. Of course, apart from the 200 of Matthews and uh, the earlier mentioned 150 not out of from uh, Kushal Perera, they even in fact struggled in their home series against England as well to perform uh, very well as batsmen and convert starts into 50s and 100s. So, if we look at the Sri Lankan innings, the platform was solid. And of course, it was uh, capitalised on by uh, Dananjaya de Silva and Matthews, but still, again, the conversion of fifties hun- into hundreds was not seen, which, uh, which which saw that they ended up 110 run- around 110 runs short of the Zimbabwe total, giving Zimbabwe a very good lead. And throughout this test match, we have had uh, stoppages because of bad light, that might actually end up force this match into a draw. Uh, and taking away a creditable, deserving win for Zimbabwe. Of course, now with a lead of uh, 110, the Zimbabwe was much more uh, positive in the second innings with Brendan Taylor, Sean Williams and Sikandaraza Raza again contributing like in the first innings. And what we have to see here is the 7 for for, uh, for and 72 from uh, Sikandar Reza in the first innings is almost a Ben Stokes-like contribution to the Zimbabwean uh, cricket team, which might do the start turn if they declare, say, a first thing in the morning with a lead already over 3.50. And if there is a full day of uh, bowling possible with attacking fields, good line and length, and a panicking Sri Lankan batsman, that could draw
2: a series level at 1-0. Thanks a lot for the summation. Thanks a lot, Chetan, for your participation uh, you know, in this episode of Amchit Cricket Podcast. Thank you. I
1: had a lot of fun uh, because uh, it came across from different parts of the world and different formats.
2: Let's now take a look at the trivia section. So the trivia question from the previous episode was who has the lowest average in India-Australia bilateral tests scoring away from home and having scored at least 300 runs. So this was a stat that came up uh, thanks to Ravi Nair, our co-host in the previous episode of the podcast. So the answer to this question is surprisingly David Warner who averages just 19.45 while playing away in a bilateral series against India. The trivia question from this episode is what is the highest score at number six in first class cricket? That is the longer format of the game. So with all the talk going on about uh, the triple hundreds being scored at number six in Ranji Trophy, I guess we, are, we have come across this name and the stat. So I hope this is going to be an easy question to answer. You can give us the answer to this question. Or your thoughts about our show, for example, you could always reach out to us via our mail ID, which is armchair.cricket at gmail.com, or via our Twitter handle, which is at armchairquickpod. Also, you know, you could leave a comment on the Facebook page with your answer, or on any podcasting app you use to listen to our podcast. So, if you listen to our podcast and if you like it, please do let your cricket friends know about it, and uh, you are our strength. So, I hope. Uh, as long as you continue enjoying our podcast, you're also able to put in a good word for us. Having said all that, it's a goodbye from me and all my co-hosts. Thank you.
3: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Ah.